right. Thank you, worship team, and good morning to everybody. My name's Bell. If we, we haven't met personally, I'd love to meet, meet you uh, maybe after the service. And we're continuing our journey this morning in the book of Acts. So you remember the big story that we've, that we've been in is that God loved the world, and he sent his son to reconnect the world to him in a personal way. And a whole group of people responded to that message and left us a record of what it was like to act with God because God left, sent, sent not only his son, but he left his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell people and communities um, and to act with him. And so the great invitation of our lives now, thousands of years later, is that this same great God is reconnecting us, giving us his Holy Spirit, and we're on an adventure where our lives can be interactive with God and we can learn what it looks like uh, to access and to live with the Holy Spirit in everything, okay? And that's what the big story of this book is. We're jumping in in Act chapter 20. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 7. If you're using a seat Bible, I think that's page 658. I'm using my phone. I'm, uh, we'll start reading here in verse 7. So on the first day of the week, we gathered with lo- the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, He kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he he fell sound asleep, dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms, and said, Don't worry, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and they ate together. Paul continued talking until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home, alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Okay, so Paul's on a journey here. He's on a five-year missionary trip. His home base is Jerusalem. He's been in Greece, uh, Ephesus, Corinth, some other places, Um, and he feels inside of himself, we'll read in a second, actually leading of the Holy Spirit, that it's time to check back in at home, back in Jerusalem. So he's on his way back from his ministry in Greece, um, and he's sort of traveling along the way, stopping to say goodbye to many of these churches. That's the context. It's a special day in this church because the churches wanted him to stay, right? He's like a father. He's the founder. You know, Paul's in town now. They know he's heading out. They may, you know, not see him again. And so they call a special day of of gathering where there's a meal and there's a last talk. And it seems like Paul got a little uh, carried away. Uh, It actually says he went on and on. Um, And if you've ever had an intuition that long sermons are not good for the body, you have it here, it turns out that they can be deadly. So you knew knew that was true at some level, and now you have it right here in the text. Um, It it basically basically, uh, killed this guy. And... Uh, we're laughing, but think about this moment. This is horrific. This was a young man, probably a teenager. Um, his family was probably in this room. Uh, there was gas. There was a thud. There was scurrying around. It was a, a really traumatic moment. Got Paul's attention. He ran over. Now, what I want us to note here is that the Bible, in the Bible, people are just like us. I mean, they bleed. They fall out of windows. They fall asleep. They get, they get tired of the long sermons. They run the gamut of emotions that we all do as human beings. So life with God, life in the Holy Spirit, is not an exemption from our lives. It's actually that there's this great introduction 
of the presence of God into the middle of that who is with us. Now, in this case, just like us, they prayed. I mean, I'm sure as soon as he was hitting the floor, there were moms and dads in that room crying out to God, like, Lord, have mercy, right? And they're running over to this young man. Um, There was a miracle in this case, okay? And sometimes as we pray in the middle of our ups and downs, we see dramatic miracles from the Lord. There is another way to write this story. The young boy died, and they grieved, and they bonded together as the church, and God was with them, see, in the middle. And sometimes those are the stories in the Bible and in our lives. Uh, The great difference is that God is with us, with us, not, not escaping our humanity, but completing it, inviting us into more of it. Uh, that's a sermon in itself. Okay, now let's look at the next section, beginning in verse 13. Paul went by land. Now I gotta, I gotta do a little uh, pre-word here. Ancient Greek cities are not my forte. Okay, so we're just gonna do the best we can here. So Paul went by land, to Asus, where he had arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed to the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miletus. You get the idea that Paul is on a trip here. Okay, he's on a journey, heading back to Jerusalem. Paul had decided, verse 16, to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost, so he's date-bound. But when he landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work signed me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So, guard yourselves in God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up, will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. 
And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or their gold or their fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad, most of all, because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Okay, big section here. Paul's in a hurry. Mention that. He actually thinks about skipping Ephesus. He's like, man, I got to get out of Asia. Uh, but at the last second, he decides here to invite some of the leaders, like a delegation, to come and meet, to him, meet with him en route. And so he's giving these leaders a little charge. Now, he says a lot about his ministry here, right? I don't think the intent of this is to, like, chronicle how great he was. I think it was the fact that he knew he was speaking to who? The leaders of his church, right? He's about to leave. So he's wanting to give them an example from his own biography of some things that they should punctuate or highlight as they're leading and ministering to others. So if you want to tune in here, the way that you'd be listening to this is if you're a person in this room who wants to help others by sharing the wonderful news of God's grace, if you want to infuse them with life and love, this is a word for you, okay? So he's saying, like, this is how this, is how this works. So here's a few lessons from, from Paul on the nitty-gritty of doing ministry. The first thing, I think it's really helpful, is just to recognize at the very start that ministry is hard work. Like, if you're going into this thinking, oh, man, it's like, a, it's like a cool thing to do to help people, it's like, apparently you've never really tried to help someone because helping someone is involved. Um, he actually cites, there were many tears. There were not just some, like, in this work. There was actually opposition. There, there was people who misconstrued my help. They had other agendas that actually pushed back on me in ways that hurt, that I felt their opposition and had to persevere through. So if you want to jump in the helping game, it's awesome, but just know that, it, that with God, this is going to involve your whole self, and it's going to be a labor. It's a labor of love, and it's worth it, but it's work, okay? That's good to know. I mean, that's the first 10 years of my ministry, figuring that out. Okay, so it's not going to be, it's not going to be what I thought, okay? Secondly, uh, ministry's mixed. It includes incredibly high-top experiences where you get to see people's lives helped, reconciled, love, joy, peace get established, rooted, really big disasters healed, and you get great stories, some of the best stories with God of his miracles and his grace and how powerful it is. That's awesome, right? And, and there are also going to be many negative experiences, disappointment, there is nothing like putting your heart and soul into someone and to see the free choice that they have be utilized for something that sets them back or goes the opposite direction or gets mean or gets, you know, all the different directions it takes, right? If you've been in that, it's very disheartening to have invested your whole guts and yourself into things that don't turn out the way you hope. People still choose um, to make a disaster sometimes out of their life, and we are witnesses and we mourn and we hurt, not in judgment, but just it, we care. And so it hurts us. 
Now, here's the key word I want you to remember. If you're going to jump into ministry as you're helping people, it's mixed. That means we need to learn to use the word and, not or. So we get caught in binary thinking, like it's either going to be good or it's bad. I'm either effective or I'm not effective. The Lord either worked or he didn't. You follow what I'm saying? You, all kinds of words. It was either worth it or it wasn't. The problem is life is an and, not an or. And in any sphere of your life, if you're going to have maturity and integration and be there for the long haul, you've got to learn to put the and in it. Okay? That would be another great sermon. All right. Number three, ministry, ministry involves a clarity of your priorities. There are, the Bible is a big book, right? It teaches many important things. People come to this great big book and the mysteries of God and have for generations with sincerity and they do hard work to understand it. We do not all put it together the same way. Follow what I'm saying? So there are a bunch of people who are on our team, like they're part of the family of God that we do not agree with about everything, correct? But at the center of our unity is not our agreement in everything. There is, actually, there is actually the core of our faith, and Paul highlights it here in a couple places. He talks about the incredible work of the message of Jesus Christ and his gospel reconnecting people at the heart level to God and opening them to his family, right? And he talks about the wonderful grace of God. Let's focus on the main things, right? And let the secondary things flow out from them. Okay, this is a word to the elders here and to all of our leaders, but also to our church. Let's be a people of the central things. Okay, Paul was. He highlights it here for the Ephesians. Okay, that also is a sermon. Four, ministry, ministry involves integrity. Sometimes we think a lot about the message that we're proclaiming, but did you know that the messenger is the message? This is what Paul's highlighting. He's saying there was many people as they were doing the work that were in the ministry game but it, they ended up proving that their primary lusts were not for you or for God. They were for money. They were for sex. They were for power. Uh, again, we see this so much in our leadership structures of our day, right? People in it for partially the good, but also partially for themselves. The two getting confused, using people, using even the gospel, using even church structures for their own gain. Paul just simply highlights, listen, Part of the message of my life was my life. You saw me. I was an open book. I was living, I was not only proclaiming to you a way, I was living the way, right? And part of what you need to be doing as leaders is to see the connection that a big part of your ministry message is the messenger. It's your life. Give attention to it, okay? He says this in other places. Ministry is about relationships. You know at the end here, they were crying. They were sad to see each other go. Why? Because the relationships in this community were real. The bonds and the emotional connections were real. They had touched each other. They had, given, they had, they had lived side by side. Um, they had bled and cried and prayed and all these things together, right? And so, again, t- so much that can be said here, but like, if you want to be in the helping area, realize that this is an engagement at the relational level, that relationships really matter in ministry, Okay? Now, let's look at chapter 21, all right? And we'll be getting in verse 1, chapter 21. After saying farewell to the Ephesians, the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of 
costs. The next day, we reached Rhodes, and then we went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, landed in the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, said our farewells. Then we went aboard and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemas, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Jerusalem. He came over, took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and all the local believers begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. All right, we don't have a lot of time here. This is so interesting, though. Okay, so this section is a little strange. There's a group of believers, and then four prophetess daughters, um, who basically in unity, are proclaiming to him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be in trouble, you're going to get jailed, don't go. Okay? Then this guy, Agabus, shows up and starts to do a little show and tell in the Holy Spirit. He like literally takes Paul's belt and starts binding himself up with it, hand and feet, in this like little demonstration. And then he goes, if you want a picture of what's going to happen to you, if you go, this is what it is. Then all the believers go, Paul, please don't go. Okay? And then Paul says, I'm going. Okay? That's what we have to work with here. Okay? Now, notice that all of, the, all of the people in the story were prophesying in the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the text tells us explicitly that they were getting their words from the Holy Spirit. We also know from the previous chapter that Paul had been talking to the Holy Spirit. And it says that he was actually bound, he told the Ephesian elders, I'm bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Okay? So this raises a question, right? Paul's hearing one thing, they're hearing something else, they're all, each having to do some interpretation of what they're hearing and make decisions for real life. Okay? This raises a very interesting scenario about real life guidance. Okay? So some of you are asking, man, the Holy Spirit, it's awesome, he's with me, I want to be guided by him, I want, to, I want our community to be guided by him. Well, how does that work? Okay? So, the power went off last week. I had a little extra time. Okay, so, uh, I went and thought, I'm just going to look at this question just inside the book of Acts. Okay, so just start just with Acts. You could do more than this. Um, in Acts, there are at least 14 examples, direct supernatural guidance. If you want to see these, you know, I have them on my phone. So I can just send you the verses later in the email. But there's 14 direct examples. Let me just review with you, because we've been reading the book together. Two were before Pentecost, you know, where the believers were told to go to the upper room, wait for the Holy Spirit. Two were jailbreaks. You know, Peter was one of them, the earthquake, these kinds of things. 
Two were around Saul's conversion. Right? The, you know, on the Damascus Road. Two were with Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Two were with Paul in Jerusalem. Like the Holy Spirit going, go, go in, get out. Four times were Paul's journeys, like we're reading right now. Okay? At least 14. Depends how you count them. Now, here's what's super interesting. The modality was different. Five times there were visions. Three times there were angels. Three times there was the, the Spirit. You know, it just says, well, the Spirit told him. One time, Paul heard a voice from heaven. Three times there were prophets. One time, the gates just flew open. Okay? Um, now, here's to make the plot even thicker. There are 70 decisions recorded in Acts by the believers. Where they just decided, apparently. They just got together and said, it seems good to us to do X or Y. Okay? So what do we make of this? Well, I have five minutes to tell you. Okay? Okay, so, okay, here's the, here's the thing. I'm just going to think with you right here, right? Because um, I'm just going to pull the curtain back. The supernatural great God that we serve who is somehow beyond us and yet with us cannot be put in our boxes. There's a mystery to him. If we could actually figure God out, who would be God? Okay, so there's a mystery here. That includes pastors and denominations and everybody else. Okay, so there's a tension. That's what I want to say here when we come to actually living with the Holy Spirit as a community. Okay, people have to figure this out. And there's no formula. It's dynamic. Okay, it's happening in many modalities. It's happening with many people at once. It's happening in conjunction, but it's also happening in the middle of our real lives where we have to make decisions. Okay? And we're asking the Lord for help. He's with us. He's communicating in all kinds of ways, including his word, but also all the ways that we've described. Okay? And here we are. Right? I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse, but it makes it real, right? makes it real so we can work on it. Secondly, direction from the Holy Spirit changes. Okay, now this is amazing, but think about this. We would say, the Lord has his will, his will be done. But the Lord works out his will in relationships with people that he's given free will, like you and me. We get to make decisions, and the Lord's will is done. But it's not done in a way that violates the honest and authentic decisions of human beings. And we often see the Lord, like go back and look at this in Acts, dynamically interacting with people, not only believers, but cities and city rulers and all these things, interactively to express his larger will, but case by case in these decisions, they are actually responsive. Like, okay, this happened, now we're going to do this. Right? Interesting. Okay, three. Circumstances are a factor. Right? Just think about Paul here. Sometimes on his missionary journey, he's trying to figure out where to go. And lo and behold, a storm. And now I am no longer on course to go the route that I planned. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to get up in whatever island I crashed on, and we're going to start. Right? So circumstances are part of the way that we interact with the Holy Spirit and God as we're living our lives. 
Like we have to respond to the cards that we have. Fourthly, it's interesting here, self-preservation is actually good. It's just not primary. So you see Paul sometimes going, hey, there's a plot of the Jews to kill you. So what do they do? They run, right? They get out of town. It's time to leave. I mean, there's like an actual plot to kill me. I'm going to go this direction. There is nothing wrong in the Holy Spirit to look out for your well-being or the well-being of your family, right? This is part of how the Lord guides you. However, self-preservation can, cannot be the only or the primary. So, like, let me just ask you a broader question. Are there things that are worth dying for? Okay. No matter where you are in life right now, you'd probably say, yes, there are, there's something in your life that's worth dying for. If there's something worth dying for, there is something worth sacrificing for, right? There is a time when you stand in even when self-preservation is being threatened because there is a deeper value at stake, right? In Paul's case, we see this. They're fleshing this out, right, in real time. Like, hey, you're going to get arrested in Jerusalem. He's like, yep. (laughs) And your point? Right? I'm willing to suffer because there was something else. We're not told. But there's something else, a value, something that was being activated in Paul. But notice how they had to do this together, right? It requires incredible humility. I mean, just, this could take its own thing and just be so important. But as you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, when you know you're going to go wrong, there's a lot of ways, but if you're doing it alone, like even Paul's not doing this alone. The church is not doing this alone. There's tension. They are having conversations. They are wrestling with things. They're, they're letting it grind as they work out the Lord's will. Okay? Together, together is the key. All right? Now, six. Greed is never from God. Paul says, listen, also be aware as leaders that there are some competing guides at work in your soul. The, greed, the, the, the drives for power, for affirmation and reputation, for money and self-gain, for sexual pleasure. As you gain influence, these things become more activated, right? You have more, it's not that they become more, it's just that you have more ability to act on them. And how many leaders have gone down the hole here, like in the name of God? So if you're going to really want to follow the Holy Spirit, guess what you got to check at the door? Like every day. You've got to actually submit yourself to God. You have to say to the Holy Spirit, like, let's have an honest conversation here, not just about my functional beliefs, but what is really driving my soul. I need surgery by the Holy Spirit, okay? Another interesting topic. It requires trust. Notice at the end of this, if you're, if you're part of the Greek church that Paul's going away from, and they've, you've just been told by the Holy Spirit, he's going to get, whenever you see him again, like he's going to jail, he's gonna, whatever's going to happen here. You've just had the Holy Spirit tell you that, and you think that you need him. See the, see the issue? You're going, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Why are you? And Paul's going, man, I got to go. And what he actually says is, I'm entrusting you to who? I'm entrusting you to God. And the message of his grace, which is able to, so let me, let's, let's just be clear here. Who did Paul not think was the author of these folks' salvation? 
Paul. Who did Paul not think was absolutely necessary for them to thrive? Himself, right? Man, I'm telling you right there, that's a whole course book in leadership. We serve a Savior. We, we connect people to a Savior. We are not the Savior. By the way, if any of you are tempted in here to follow Dan or me or somebody else, like we're going to try to help you and be you know, Bill, whatever, other mentors in your life, men and women, they're, they're, you know, awesome. You need them. And they are not God. Okay? Don't put your trust in them. So here, here in closing, let's just say this. How are you guided? That's the, that's, the, that's the question that we're working with this morning, right? How are you guided? I mean, like, just take a, before you just, like, give me an answer, just take a deep breath for a second and think about your functional life. Like, how do you make decisions? How do you set your priorities? What are the factors? Okay? What this text is introducing here is that, God, that, is that first of all, it's amazing. You were not alone in the universe. God just didn't wind the clock up and let it run its course. You are not left just trying to do the best you can or just to survive or nobody knows. Like actually, the God of the universe who loves you is personally interacting with you by his Holy Spirit and his word and his community. Like you are not alone, right? So how are you guided? Have you opened to that? Like on a serious level in your life. Secondly, is it primarily about self-preservation? I mean, I was, I was asking myself that this week. Like, I mean, I want to do a lot of good, but man, I want to eat. I want to make sure my kids go to college. I got a big old bill to pay. You know, like, man, it's like that drive to do well is good. Is it primary? Am I just largely making decisions to avoid pain? Have I located my values with Jesus and have I decided where the lines are there and am I living from them? That's the path to peace. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Is it mainly about greed and pleasure and personal gain? I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying it's a thing. It's a thing, right? It's the American way, maybe. And here's the, here's the giant invitation this morning from this beautiful text. We get this moment to go, God is with us. Holy cow, God is with us. Our lives are an adventure. How about if we entrust ourselves to him this morning together and do the hard work of being guided by our king and by the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for my beautiful friends, this community, what, we're, what we are right now, but also what we're aspiring to be. And we do realize that there's a gap um, for all of us. And we're just inviting you into that space right now um, to help relocate your guidance, your presence in us, with us, among us, between us. Um, may, this be a, may this be a beautiful invitation of your love to everyone in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll be back next week for chapter 22.